We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. If the Taliban were to write an open letter to the State Department of the United States, what would they say? What would their message be? What would they say to, oh, let's say Ned Price, the State Department spokesperson? I'll answer this question and more on today's rebellion. Welcome to today's rebellion. Afghanistan. This obviously has been the message pervasive in the news, and it should be. The way the United States has handled this situation is nothing short of a complete unmitigated embarrassment. Oh, not because our soldiers are failures, but because our leadership is completely inept, vacuous of conscience, conviction, having no soul. And this has exposed itself in spades, not only to the Afghani people who have been left to be tortured and raped and murdered by these butchers, by these vile human beings in Afghanistan called the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, and ISIS. No, that's not the only problem here. The problem is, is that we have exposed our lack of soul, our lack of courage, our lack of clarity, our inability to think our way out of a paper bag strategically because we have no binding glue to hold us together any longer. We're no longer a unified culture. Critical race theory has accomplished much of its goal. They've divided us so deeply that we can't stand unified against a common enemy any longer. China's been watching. Russia's been watching. North Korea's been watching. Everyone who hates us, Iran and Iraq, the Taliban, ISIS, you name it, they've been watching and they've taken note of Joe Biden as being emblematic of what the United States now is. The Democratic Party showing the world how confused and directionless America as a nation is. So if the Taliban were to write an open letter to Ned Price, the State Department spokesperson who went before the world and demanded with a quivering voice, as if he were a frightened child, that the Taliban establish a new government that's fair and inclusive and honors the dignity of women and children and little girls and involves women in leadership roles in this new government. If the Taliban were to respond to Ned Price, what would they say? Well, my weekly column in the Washington Times answers this question from my perspective because I title it An Open Letter to Ned Price. Let's take a break, acknowledge our sponsors, and when I get back, I'm going to share that open letter with you and why I wrote it. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I will be right back in a couple minutes. Welcome back to The Rebellion. 
So for the rest of this show, I want to speak not hypothetically per se about what the Taliban would or would not say if they were to write an open letter. Yes, this is my language. This isn't a real letter written by the Taliban leadership to Ned Price, but I would argue this is what they're thinking. And what I'm writing right now is so close to reality that you're going to have a hard time distinguishing between it and satire. Good satire, good humor comes so close to reality that it's sometimes stunning. I don't know if this is that good or not, but I want to remind you that what I'm going to share with you is satire. It's me writing as if I were the Taliban leadership. And I title it, An Open Letter to Ned Price. Now, I'm going to share that with you in a second, but I want to set the context here. The context is vacuums, that vacuums are always filled. Dinesh D'Souza, before he was in his current role, and many of you know who he is, as a conservative commentator, a cultural commentator, uh, he once held a position as a scholar-in-residence at the Hoover Institute. And several years ago, he wrote a piece for the Philadelphia excuse me, the Philadelphia Inquirer. And he was addressing the issue then when George W. Bush was in office of why the Taliban, why ISIS, why Al-Qaeda, why the Muslim world in general, aside from the radicals, just the normal Muslim world, hated us. Why do they despise America? Why do they call us the great Satan? Why all the way back to the time of Jimmy Carter have they despised us? Now, many of the secular commentators at the time when DeSouza wrote this piece were suggesting that religious extremism was one and the same and that those people who are extreme for the Christian faith are in the same basket of deplorables as those who are extreme for any other faith, such as Islam. And DeSouza was saying, no, that's not why Islam hates us. It's not because of Christianity that they despise us. It's because of our fake Christianity. Sound familiar? I've talked about this in recent shows. Here's D'Souza's point, and I read a little bit from that article of several years ago. He says, It is time to revisit some common assumptions many Americans consider Islamic fundamentalists and Christians as essentially equivalent kindred spirits in the words of the late novelist William Styron. And he goes on to talk about some of the leaders of the political arena of that time, of the George W. Bush era. And I won't belabor that, but he concludes by citing Jim Wallace, who is still a leader of the evangelical left. Jim Wallace, who is part of the Evangelicals for Biden campaign. And this article that preceded all of this evangelical for Biden nonsense, summarizes exactly what's wrong with the evangelical for Biden argument, and it nails the vacuitous nature of fake Christianity and the fact that if we don't have some sort of common faith, and I'm not talking about saving faith, that could be a different issue. I do think that we need to stop separating them so dramatically. I'm not suggesting that common faith and common grace, if you will, saves every single person that lives within a nation, a country, a culture, or a city. 
I obviously believe that you have to have a personal confession of faith, repentance of your sins personally, if you expect to legitimately be part of the kingdom of God, be part of the body of Christ, be part of the true church. But I do believe that common grace and common faith, the virtues that will bind us together as a culture, that cult, not a fake religion, but those common ideas, that cult is necessary for culture to exist, that commonality of belief. Self-evident truths, unalienable rights, life and liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, freedom rather than fascism, understanding, as I've talked with you before, that the writings of Moses are a common glue that hold us together, that Moses was cited, Deuteronomy was cited, the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, those Old Testament books of the Pentateuch, were cited more frequently by our founding fathers than Locke and Hume and Hobbes and Montesquieu. And that's a fact. I've shared with you the research that confirms that. That was the binding glue that held us together, this common cultural assumption. Well, Dinesh D'Souza is arguing that without that, we're lost, because what that does is it creates a vacuum, and something else will be sucked into the vacuum to replace what used to be something of substance, the cult of the culture. Well, Jim Wallace of Evangelicals for Biden infamy says this at the end of Dinesh D'Souza's uh, citations of uh, what's wrong with America, basically. Jim Wallace says in his book, God and Politics, there is a close parallel between Islam's holy war against the West and George Bush's holy war against Islamic terrorism. From Wallace's perspective, the best solution is for America to stand up for the principles of secularism and oppose both Muslim and Christian fundamentalism. That's what Jim Wallace was saying and still is saying today. And that's what Dinesh D'Souza is criticizing because he's saying that not only is this diagnosis of the problem, problem wrong, excuse me, but the solutions proposed are actually fueling the Muslim rage, making future terrorists attack. Is this prophetic right near, right here? Future terrorists and their attacks against us more likely, but inevitable. The reason is that from the point of view of the Muslims, America is not hated because it's Christian. America is hated because it's secular. The Taliban isn't attacking us because we're too Christian. They're attacking us because we're not Christian enough. That's D'Souza's contention. And I would agree. They're being sucked into the vacuum of secularism because they're watching it. They despise it, secularism. They hate it and its lack of virtue, its lack of values. And they can easily, with some legitimate point, call the West, whether it be America, Canada, Western Europe, NATO, your European Union, they can call us the great Satan because we're behaving as if we are. Make you feel uncomfortable for me to say that? Now, am I disparaging America? No, I'm not. 
I'm not disparaging. In fact, this argument elevates the classical, traditional, conservative view of our constitutional republic that's grounded in those seminal documents called the Old Testament, called the Pentateuch, called the writings of Moses, that's grounded in the New Testament too, because I've read to you before the number of our founding fathers from Washington, Jefferson, and Benjamin Franklin, all the way up to Reagan, and you know, even some of our leaders that I don't appreciate, Barack Obama cited the Bible frequently. Why? Because it was our binding glue. Our binding glue. So with this argument of vacuums are always filled, let's consider this. Here's a potential letter. Hypothetical, somewhat satirical, but consider this. Dear American State Department spokesperson Ned Price, on August 16th, 2021, after suffering one of the most humiliating defeats in your country's history, you took to the airways to speak on behalf of your nation's government. You cowered like a frightened little boy. You stammered with a staccato voice. You embarrassed yourself and your foolish leaders by demanding that we, the Taliban, immediately establish a new government that is humanitarian, one that respects all men, and one that is inclusive, which will protect the rights of women and girls. Those are your quotes. Well, we laugh at you. You are in no position to demand anything of us. Your assumption of having any moral authority over Afghanistan and its people is a joke. Can you spell delusional? Mr. Price, please tell your president, your feckless leader, the following. Your country pretends to be an exemplar concerning the rights of women, while at the same time you deny your own mothers and daughters their basic rights of having their own bathrooms, their own showers, and their own dressing rooms. You dishonor your sisters and grandmothers, nieces and aunts by stealing their privacy, stealing their dignity, and even stealing their identity, and yet you presume to lecture us on how to treat women and girls? You subject your own children to the barbarity of puberty-blocking hormones, chemical castration, and surgical mutilation, and yet you turn around and go to the public stage in front of the world and proclaim that you expect, you expect us to be more humanitarian? In what world do you live? How can you argue with a straight face that you have any right to tell us what is right? How can you possibly believe in the dignity of children while at the same time you applaud as 11-year-old boys parade on stage in drag in front of a bunch of adults? Dignity of children? Are you serious? How can you pretend to respect the value of a man when your own default position as a culture, as a country, for all that is wrong with the entire history of the world can be summed up in two words. Toxic masculinity. Dignity of a man? 
How in the world can anyone claim to believe in the dignity of every human being when you kill more black babies in New York City each year by aborting them than you celebrate black babies by letting them be born? Mr. Price, please tell your cowering, confused president to stop pretending that we have any intention of listening to you. We don't. If you're so serious about respecting women, then why do you teach your youngest girls that women are little more than leprechauns and unicorns, make-believe social constructs rather than biological facts? And if you believe in women's rights, why do you refuse to protect a woman's most basic rights. If you believe it's wrong for a man to ever force himself on a woman, how in the name of Allah, may his name be praised forever, is it ever right to force a woman, a spa owner, to wax a man's genitals if he pretends to be a woman? A factual story, by the way, Mr. Price. Oh, we do read the news. If you're so worried about the future of humanity, then why do you buy products from billionaires who are openly telling you that human beings should be reduced by as much as 90% in order to save humanity from humanity? You people are delusional. And oh, by the way, back to the issue of women's rights. Maybe you should interview Tara Reed. How can you not see the disconnect in your pedantic, pitiful posturing? We expected you guys to be smarter than this. But your national brain trust seems to be brain dead. You were once a proud people of some common sense, but now you just double down on a daily basis in your own nonsense. If you genuinely believe in the dignity of women, then perhaps you should stop promoting the cultural appropriation by men of a status and identity that they have no right to assume. If you believe in equal rights for the female, then maybe you should stop pretending a female is a fantasy and a fabrication rather than a biological fact. If you truly believe in gender inclusion, why do you exclude the few remaining sane people in your culture and country who have the courage to defend the objective integrity of, of the female gender? I mean, what could possibly be more degrading to a female than to have her own government publicly blackface her? You know that word. That's something that you all kind of made up in your culture. Blackfacing your females in a manner that's just as cartoonish and grotesque and insulting as it was when you... You white people used to dress up in literal blackface to mimic and mock your own people of color. Mr. Price, 
We understand that your country once honored a man named C.S. Lewis. Oh, we've read. We know who he is. C.S. Lewis, a man who warned you of a time when yours would be a characterless culture of what Lewis called men without chests. Well, you're cowardly pleading this last week. Your cowardly pleading with us proves that that time has come. We ignore you. We mock you. We could not care less about your pedantic calls for women's rights and humanitarian ideals. Because you, sir, and your leader are hypocrites. Most sincerely, the leadership of the Taliban. Make you feel uncomfortable? That's the end of the letter, by the way. Now again, this is a letter that I wrote, but I've already received at least one comment when I posted this to social media asking, is this true? Did they really write this? Stop and think about it. They could have. They could have written this letter. And it proves DeSouza's point. Vacuums are always filled. Is it possible that what Dinesh D'Souza warned us of well over a decade ago when he worked for the Hoover Institute, when he said, the Muslim rage is not a rage against Orthodox Christianity. It's a rage against fake Christianity, secularism, the vacuum of virtue, the vacuum of values, the vacuum that critical theory has created, the vacuum that the rainbow flag and its LGBTQIABLMSJWCRT nonsense, this alphabet soup, this solvent, this isn't a glue that holds us together. This is a solvent that dissolves what little remaining cultural glue we still had. Now, the blessing is, the silver lining to this cloud is, arguably, Nearly 50% of the American people understand what I'm saying right now. At least if recent elections tell us anything, nearly 50% of the American people understand that we should be proud of America, make America great again, make America free again, make America a constitutional republic again, Don't tread on me. Self-evident truths. Endowed to us by our creator, not granted to us by government. Nearly half of the American populace seems to understand those basic cultural distinctives and distinctions. But the frightening part is at least in the last election, if the election was honest and you could dispute whether or not it was. But let's set that debate aside for the sake of my argument right now. In the last election, more than half of the American people 
don't get it. And they think that the solution to all that ails us is more self-flagellation, more tearing down of monuments. A Frederick Douglass. Tear down Frederick Douglass? What is wrong with you? Tear down Thomas Jefferson, George Washington. Tear down Benjamin Franklin. Tear down Abraham Lincoln. When you start tearing down your cultural icons, your cohesion, your heroes, you're going to have a vacuum and the vacuum is going to be filled. And what is it being filled by right now? Debauchery. My evangelical friends who consider Donald Trump to be vile, look what you've created. An entire vile country that's parading its 11-year-old boys in drag on stage in Good Morning America while people clap. That actually tells a father who's trying to protect his son from being chemically castrated that he has to submit. He can't stand in the way. A culture that doesn't value freedom, but rather will bow to any tyrant who just promises them safety. When this becomes your culture, our enemies are watching, and they're only too eager to step in and fill the vacuum. And that's exactly what you're seeing right now in Afghanistan. That vacuum was filled in shocking with shocking speed. I mean, you could just feel the sucking sound, if you will, drawing evil into this vacuum of virtue that we created because we're pretending to be exemplars of humanitarian government and women's rights, but yet we turn around and tell the whole world that women aren't even real. And we elect leaders who don't even believe a biological female has any rights. They laugh at us. They mock us. They malign us. And they're going to wait to conquer us unless we're willing to repent of all this nonsense. And like I said in an earlier show, like the prodigal son, say, you know what? I'm a fool. I need to return home. My dad's waiting for me. I know he loves me. I just need to return home and say I'm sorry and throw myself at his mercy. If my people will call upon me and confess their sins, I will heal their land. This is a promise of God. I'm Dr. Everett. Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Remember this, in times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left.